Welcome to Flowing East and West, the perfectly imperfect journey to a fulfilled life. I'm Ann Roby, an HR advisor and consultant focused on building strong employee engagement and meaningful company culture. And I'm Sherry Essig, an executive and life coach, and I work with people who are done settling for less than success and happiness. So Anne, I am so excited about today's guest, Chris Hendricks, who is a guest through a kind of funny, circuitous route. So Jeff Slater, who was a guest quite a while ago, connected me with a friend of his who will be a guest coming up. So I'm going to keep his name a secret at the moment. But when I reached out to his friend, I got an email back saying, I'd love to talk to you about the podcast. And you know who else you should talk to? You should talk to my friend, Chris Hendricks. (laughs) So a little bit about Chris. He is a professional singer, songwriter, and recording artist. He is a keynote speaker. He is also the co-founder of Perfectly Afflicted, a nonprofit whose mission is to promote social and emotional empowerment for teens. Chris has been singing since he was four years old and has been professionally performing for well over a decade. And for you North Carolina listeners, his song Noise was selected by the NHL Carolina Hurricanes to be the theme song for their 2011-2012 hockey season. Go Canes! Go Canes! So Chris, welcome to the podcast. We are so excited to have you joining us. And I'm going to turn it over to you now to talk about your journey, how you got to where you are today, and some of those significant moments along the way. Oh my goodness. What a large question and what a wonderful opportunity this is. Thank you, Sherry. Thank you, Anne, for having me. I have always been an entertainer at heart to the deep love and appreciation and and sometimes chagrin of my mother (laughs) in particular. I've just always loved the energy around performing to the point where actually when I was very little, I get my musical talent and my charm, I'd like to think so anyway, from my dad. My dad was a, a country artist and performer, and he would have deck parties at our house. And I would sneak out onto the deck as a little, little, just like crawl out there or walk out there and was always in awe of not just the music, but the way that my dad was like this beautiful puppet master. Like it was a combination (laughs) of the music and the jokes that he told. He just totally captured the audience. And I just, I fell in love immediately and I carried that energy with me over the course of my life. And I've been singing really ever since. And so really inspired by your dad as a little, little, as you said, when did you actually start? I mean, were you performing as a, as a youngster or did that come later? I would always perform whenever given the opportunity, whenever there was a stage, whenever there was a talent show. I'm a Leo, so I was like, please, where is the microphone? I'm so excited. (laughs) Even if I didn't know what to say, I just wanted to say things. But I would say, really, I stepped into it professionally or had a desire to, to step into it professionally when I was in college. And that's another kind of cool story. I actually visited my dad in Wisconsin when I was a junior in college, which is right when I decided to pick up the guitar and learn the instrument. And my dad threw me in his basement, which is like this ode to old school music. There's like instruments hanging on the wall. 
and like old record players and just old equipment strewn everywhere. So it's this beautiful energy around music. And he taught me my first chords, the C chord, G chord, and the D chord. And I stayed there all night, the first night, all the way up until two or three o'clock in the morning. And my stepmom comes downstairs and goes, what the hell are you still <laughs> doing here? And I said, I can't, I've just gone over these same stupid chords over and over again. And I can't do it quickly. And I, I sound terrible and I'm not getting any better. Like I was super frustrated because I wanted it so bad. And my stepmom said, go to bed and wake up in the morning and your body will figure it out. Like your body and mind is going to make the connection. And I was like, ah, that's not how it works. You're a crazy person, you. But I woke up the next morning and I could play the chords. And I was like, wow, this is a magical, magical experience. And that turned into songwriting, which led to me performing for the, the rest of my life. So that's a really great overview of how you came to music. And I'd love to hear a little bit, because you and I talked, and so I know a little bit about your story, of some of the other pivotal events in your life or pivotal circumstances in your life and how that informs your music and your keynote speaking and your nonprofit. And you have this super interesting story. Thank you. Well, I think, again, just my belief doesn't have to be other people's belief, but I believe that in order to be successful in life, you have to believe in magic. There has to be a part of you that believes in magic. And my mother did something incredible for me when I was a kid. I'll never forget it. It meant the whole world to me. When I was seven years old, she pulled me out of school the single mom at the time working her butt off to make a better life for for me and her and she just decided i'm going to take my son to disney world and so she took me to disney world and during this time i'm only seven years old right so i'm still formulating most of my major ideas about the world and i had been diagnosed with cerebral palsy at the age of four so i'm backing up a little bit here this sort of like, I'll call him the angry Santa Claus because he had this white beard and just a very stern look on his face. And he sat me down on the doctor's table and he said, now I went by the name Jamie at the time, Chris James Hendricks Jr. is my full name. And he goes, now, Jamie, you've been diagnosed with something called cerebral palsy. And here's what that means. It means it's going to take you a lot more time to get from point A to point B. You're going to expend a lot of energy trying to move, trying to walk. You're going to expend a lot more energy trying to balance, trying to express yourself. And last but not least, you'll have a difficult time making friends because not everyone's going to understand you. If you say something like that to a young person who's trying to see the world as best he can, you know, it can really affect him. And so for... Two years, I walked around with this resentment towards the man in the mirror, the person I was looking at every morning. And then my mom takes me to Disney World, the most magical place on earth. And it really was for me. And my whole life transformed over the course of that vacation because when we got to the park, I realized I was looking around, everybody else was like standing in line for forever. 
And we just kept going right to the front of the line, like over and over and over again. Not only that, we could bring our friends, like I could just point out to, to other people in the park and just say, hey, you're hanging out with me now. And they could go to the front of the line too. And we could pick where we wanted to sit. I could ride the ride as many times as I wanted. And by the end of the trip, all these people wanted to hang out with me. They wanted to learn about my experience. And I thought about the angry Santa Claus. And I was like, maybe the angry Santa Claus is wrong. Maybe life is what you make it. And this is such a seven-year-old thing to say. But I was like, maybe I have superpowers. Not in spite of my condition, but because of it. And that really transformed how I saw myself, the trajectory of my life and my career, whatever that was going to be moving forward. I saw myself as a person of not just value, but unique value. I felt like I had a purpose. I felt like my condition had a purpose. I thought that it was all this this unique, genuine package that people really wanted to open. And I was excited to leap out of the box for them and be myself. That is amazing. What's so cool about that is... Like you said, there was a couple of years where you're just sort of angry Santa Claus had this really negative impact on you. I mean, of course, on any four-year-old, then you have this really magical experience at, by the way, the Magic Kingdom, and, and it sort of shifts the way you see the world. So how do you think that shift from the seven-year-old viewpoint has impacted you throughout your life? Not that I haven't had ups and downs. Life is full of ups and downs, but I felt really grounded in value. I saw myself as valuable, even in my darkest, darkest moments. And there's been a few of those. At the end of the day, I chose value. And one of the things that I use to bring me back to value has always been music, has always been songwriting, whether it's my music or somebody else's. You've had other people on this podcast share similar experiences of just, there is something magical about music. There's something truly magical about it. And it's always kept me afloat, even if it was just my head above water. (laughs) It's really amazing. And I want to comment for a minute about how extraordinary it is to have this very grounded sense of value at such a young age. You've had dark times, but that sense of value has never left you. I mean, it just makes me think about for so many kids, being different is hard. And you get into adolescence and it's even harder. And to have acquired that sense of, no, I have value, and to be able to see that you called it your condition or your differentness for the theme of it, that you were able to see that as a superpower. And that's just such an extraordinary thing at such a young age. Thank you. I I, I really appreciate it. And I should share that As much as I was grounded in value, there were absolutely extended periods of time where I forgot about the superhero element of my own story, particularly middle school and high school. Middle school in particular, nightmare. I would never go back, not in a million years. Nightmare because of the other kids? Yeah, and because of how I treated myself. Thank God I had that seed of value 
because even though it was like beaten down into the dirt, it had its moments of being stomped on over and over again. It was always there. And, you know, I can think over and over again that there were multiple experiences where other people's opinions of me made me really forget who I was. And I, I, not only did I feel like I was sort of living in the shadows, but I was doing so in in secret. The battles that I was having with myself were very, very quiet. It wasn't as though I didn't have friends. I did have friends, but I didn't recognize the value of vulnerability in middle school. I didn't want to tell anybody what I was actually going through. I certainly didn't want to tell my parents because I felt like if I did, it would make it worse. And honestly, I'm I'm really grateful to be alive, genuinely, to have made it through middle school and high school because I didn't really find myself again until college, which is when I fell back into doing music and performing. Well, you talk about vulnerability a lot in some of your writings and I assume in some of your speaking. We did our homework and and found some of your stuff that's online and available. And I'm just curious, like it wasn't there in middle school. You say you sort of woke back up to your values in college. What has the role of vulnerability been in your journey? How has that impacted how you walk on this earth? I would say that vulnerability has been my best friend. Just because he or she is your best friend doesn't mean you don't fight every once in a while. Okay. I'm super grateful for my best friend, but he puts me in my place, has put me in my place and (laughs) and, and called me out on my bullshit a lot. And so figuring out how to share myself with others, I would say from middle school all the way up until the start of college was a constant battle. And so that best friend of vulnerability kept screaming at me the whole time. It was just like, just be open about it. Just be open about it. Just be open about it. Just screaming it at the top. Like, and whenever I wouldn't listen, life would hit me for it. And then I think going through various experiences, which caused me to, to fall apart, both physically and mentally, and sort of embracing that vulnerability, which didn't happen till the very end of high school. As a matter of fact, I'm, I'm just reminded of this story. I was a senior in high school, and I had hidden my pain away for my whole adolescence. And when I was a senior, we had the senior quote assignment where you had to come up with a quote and then tell the class why you said what you said. Well, I cannot even remember my senior quote, but I do remember what I said attached to the quote. And what I said was, just so you all know, I've never been able to say this before, but I don't know why it was so hard for all of you to connect with me genuinely. And just so you know where I'm coming from, and I'm speaking to my class, whatever challenges you were facing over the course of our time together, whenever I came to school, because I was in and out of a wheelchair over the course of my time from middle school up through high school, you all had already accomplished my dream. I wanted to walk like you, talk like you be like you. I didn't know what that meant. And I I reached for it so, so hard and so, so much. And I wanted it so, so much. Only now do I realize that had I just been upfront, honest, and fully 
than myself. Only by being myself can any of us really succeed. And so just so you all know, you really missed out on getting to know me and you're going to remember me one day. And that was my coming out party. I mean, what's interesting about the way you said it, you missed out on getting to know me, but really you were pointing the finger at yourself in that it was me. I didn't let myself be seen. I was busy hiding away or trying to fit in or whatever that was, which is totally normal adolescent behavior, especially when you then layer on a disability on top of it, completely normal and understandable. Did you get any reaction to that or have you ever heard anything back from that? The teacher said, no one can follow that, so class dismissed. Yeah. We all get out. <laughs> so we're happy. We, right. we all get out. Right. Right. <laughs> part of what you're saying that is very specific to your story, and part of what you're saying is applicable to everybody, is that if we don't allow ourselves to really be seen and to be vulnerable, it is not possible for anyone else to really connect with us. What an amazing moment, not just for you to stand up and say that, but for everybody to also get that message for themselves. And again, as much as we all thought we were very grown up when we graduated from high school, of course, we all look back, we're like, oh my God, we were little babies. And or so, idiots. Or idiots, right? Yes, Idiot babies. All of the things. <laughs> but what a moment of wisdom at such a young age for you. And so then what happens? You are now in touch with your vulnerability and you head off to college. Then what happens? Again, I, I sort of created my own magical Disney moment. I made a decision going into college that I was going to be fully open about my disability, my condition, whether people liked it or not. And I was going to treat it with a sense of dignity and a sense of humor. And I was going to be the opposite of who I was in middle school and high school. As a matter of fact, I told you earlier on in the interview that I went, I used to go by Jamie. Well, it wasn't until college that I decided to go by my first name, Chris, which is also my dad's name. So I chose to go by Chris in college as a reminder to me, you are this person now. We love Jamie. Jamie did his thing, but Jamie is in the past. You are now Chris. It felt like I was genuinely stepping into a power when I walked up to the the name tag table and told the woman what my name was when I started college. And I joined every club you possibly could, every charity organization. They did this thing at the beginning of the year where they hired a hypnotist and it was like in front of the entire university. He asked for volunteers. And instead of raising my hand, I just hobbled right up on stage. I didn't let him not pick me. <laughs> That's awesome. I don't remember what I did, but I did some crazy stuff. Like that was the start of my college journey. And I just became social. I became a connector. I became a person who loved people. Had that not happened, it would not have translated into me becoming a songwriter and going on tour and doing all of those things. Every piece of this puzzle was meant to come together the way that it did. As these puzzle pieces are starting to fall into place, you already gave us a little bit of a heads up, but it sounds like you find yourself in your dad's basement in the middle of Wisconsin somewhere and discovering this love of music and becoming a, a songwriter. What happens next? So you finish college and you jump into music. Just take us through where you go next. Okay. So that's a funny story. So when I was a senior in college, my songwriting journey started with a lie. 
<laughs> Excellent. And here's what I mean by that. I told my friend, who's also a producer and is still one of my producers to this day, his name is Andre, I told him that I had written a song. So then he goes and he signs me up for this talent show, this Habitat for Humanity talent show that they had at our school every year. Well, the truth is I'd only written the title of the song. I didn't actually <laughs> write it. The song. So over the course of one day, I was like, oh, I'm like trying to figure out the right words. And the only chords that I knew were G, C, D, and E minor because I had just, I had learned them in my dad's basement. And the only song that I knew that wasn't mine was uh, Good Riddance by Green Day. And so in my first original song in the chorus, the words are, I owe a thank you to Green Day for giving me the chords to survive because I wouldn't have been able to. And I wrote it in a day and they threw me up on stage and I, and it's on video. I was so nervous. I forgot the words for the first like 45 seconds of the performance, but then they all flooded into me, my heart, my soul, my voice. And at the end of it, Andre, who's a brilliant musician and songwriter, and I knew he was going to be a brilliant producer. He's a brilliant producer to this day. Pulled me aside and he said, I think you have something with this music and this songwriting thing. And it really inspired me. Fast forward, I'm going to I'll try and tell you the short version of this, but instead of getting a regular job after school, I decided to get a job at the happiest place on earth, working at Walt Disney World as part of the college program. And I did their college idol and i think i got third place or something but like with that one song that i wrote and i didn't know anything about what it took to get a record deal or anything like that but i've always been defined by my determination to do crazy stuff and so i found the name of this production company back in north carolina and I called him 650 times. <laughs> and the only reason I know that it was 650 times is because he got his phone bill. And at the time, they, there was a time back in the day when they had the number of times a number would call your line. And he was like, who is this guy calling me 650? 50 times and like and i left him all these ridiculous messages he never got back to me and he called me while i was at work while i was in the the disney booth selling vacation plans or something and he was like who are you why do you keep calling me and i was like my name is chris Hendricks. i don't know anything about what it takes to get a record deal or whatever you're the only person that i know but i have this music what does it take to get a record deal and he was like well, send me the music. So I sent him the only thing I had, which is this really crappy DVD of my third place performance at Disney Idol. <laughs> and amazing. I mailed it to him and he goes, this song is great. Do you have anything else? And I said, yeah. And I totally didn't. <laughs> like, I, I didn't have any other music. So I locked myself in my room wrote a ton of songs which would eventually become my first ep and so instead of being a physical therapist which is what i went to school for my friends in florida surrounded me with like a call it a friend intervention if you will and they said you need to give this music thing a shot so i woke my mom up at two o'clock in the morning which seemed like a good idea at the time but it was terrible and i said mom i know that you are expecting me to be a physical therapist but i thought i would try my hand at playing guitar and singing instead 
And she was like, son, I think that's a terrible idea, but I love you. (laughs) You're a grown man. You can do what you want to do. And the rest is history. So I'm curious, and you might not know the answer to this question, but do you think this record producer called you back because you just finally wore him down and he was curious (laughs) to talk to this crazy person? 100%. (laughs) Absolutely. I I think that some part of him knew that I was never going to leave him alone. But I mean, that speaks to like really tenacity and going for the things that are important to you. We've all heard don't take no for an answer, but this wasn't even like, this is like, well, we'll take not answering the phone for an answer. I'm going to call 649 more times. I love it. So your persistence paid off and I know you had some additional early success and it hasn't all been smooth sailing. So tell us a little bit about kind of the next wave of things that happened. Well, from a really early age, I went from playing in coffee shops on Franklin Street in Chapel Hill. My very first place was a place called Jack's Brad Cafe, which doesn't exist anymore. I was playing there. And then this guy comes in who had a a music website and he kept pestering me. He was like, hey, you sound really good. Let me put you on your website. And I was like, oh, yeah, sure. You have a website. That's nice. Well, after he bothered me for a couple of weeks, finally, I was like, okay, whatever, I'll give this thing a try. Well, he had this website called Free and Easy Guitar, which was one of the top guitar learning websites at the time. And he didn't have any original music on there. So he filmed me, put me on his website. And then he said, what do you do for a living? And at the time I worked at Best Buy. So I was like, uh, I sell music at Best Buy. And he literally said, not anymore. <laughs> I'm going to take you to Nashville and New York. And that's what he did. He had no previous experience in the music industry being a manager, but he just really believed in me. Aside from my dad, he was the first real big catalyst to like, you need to do this. And it all actually goes back to vulnerability. Two things. The music that I wrote in the shortest period of time always wound up being the songs that did the best. And that was because I didn't think about them. They came from a very authentic place. And the first song that I wrote that did well, or what I would consider gave me a trajectory, was a song called Affliction, which is where we get the name of my nonprofit, Perfectly Afflicted, from. And when I first wrote the song, I had a battle with my best friend's vulnerability. I didn't want anyone to hear that song because it came from a really, really painful experience. And I was like, who wants to hear about a painful experience? And my producer at the time, walked by my room and heard me playing that song. And I said, I don't want anybody to hear that song. And he said, if you don't put that song in the record, you don't get a record. So I was like, oh, this is what people want. And that's sort of been the guiding light for my music and my speaking ever since. So I assume that song was released. Is that true? Yeah. 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 So once it was out in the world, how did you feel about it then? totally transformed its meaning. I felt like it became this anthem for my personal experience, my journey of of how I saw my condition. It's funny, you know, the thing about music is it's the one art form I've always thought that you can both hold on to and give away at the same time. So when I gave away that song, it became everybody else's song but it'll also always be mine. And I think that moment of 
both holding on to your heart and sharing it with the world transformed not only how I felt about the song, but my journey as a musician as a whole. It was really when I began to see music as an energy, something that you could give to a crowd and they could then give it back to you. And it goes back and forth and back and forth like this beautiful tennis match. And you're sort of smacking the energy back and they smack it back to you and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, way bigger than yourself. And that's how I know that magic is real and that music is way bigger than all of us. something in our earlier conversation, I don't think I have this quite exact, but I think it's in the ballpark, which was, it's been in some of your darkest moments that the most incredible things have then emerged. And I'd love if you could talk just a little bit about that. I will. Absolutely. So I have several dark stories to share. We don't have all the whole time in the world, but so I'll focus on one. I had experienced what I felt was a a lot of of success at the time. I went from being an unknown to almost selling out Lincoln Theater in Raleigh and getting an opportunity to perform at the Carolina Theater. And I had shared the stage with some incredible artists, Grammy-winning artists and things. In one weekend, I lost all of that momentum. So in one weekend, my band fell apart. My girlfriend and I, at the time, broke up. My grandmother died. And there's no other way to say this. I got into a fight with a pair of pants and lost. And as a result of that, I dislocated my knee and tore all of the tissue all around my left leg, which is someone's cerebral palsy. That is not a good thing to happen. So I had worked so hard for my music to go somewhere, but also to stand upright and walk tall and you know, however you do want to want to define comfort in your body. I had worked so hard to get to that point and it was all gone in an instant. And it was on the weekend of my grandmother's funeral. And I think that that is that that was very serendipitous because my grandmother was a a very headstrong woman and a woman that's full of faith, full of faith. And so we go to this funeral and I am so selfish at this funeral because it's all about my grandmother. It's supposed to be about my grandmother. And all I can think about is how my family is coming to visit for this funeral. And I wanted to show them how cool I had become. I wanted them to see me upright. I wanted them to see me as successful because my family, I have a lot of success in in my family. is just full of what I would consider successful individuals. I wanted them to be proud of me instead of focusing on my grandmother. Well, this accident forced me to focus on my grandmother. 
And I don't know if it was the spiritual connection between myself and the funeral at the time. Maybe it was the Percocet that my mom gave me so I could deal with the fact that my leg was in so much pain. But at my lowest moment, I was so freaking happy. And I heard a voice in my head that was just screaming nowhere but up nowhere but up. I just heard it over and over, over and over and over in my head. And it was in a very stern, stern voice. So I was like, this is totally my grandmother yelling at me right now. (laughs) And so I went home and just keep a couple things in mind. I was back in a wheelchair. I was broke. I was alone. Aside from my mother, I moved back into my mother's house and I could not travel by myself. And I didn't have a car. So I was really, really stuck. Okay. Well, I Googled motivational speaking because I was like, I'm so sad. I don't even know where to start. I'm going to just type it in the computer and see what the internet brings up. Well, the internet brought up this guy and he was very, very funny and very inspiring at the same time. He really, really reached me. He was my, my introduction to the world of writing down your goals, putting it out there in the universe, which is something that's very important to me. Okay. I'm a, I'm a firm believer of thoughts or things. If people aren't on that wavelength, totally cool. Rock on. That is your experience. I'm feeling this, right? Well, it was three o'clock in the morning, my time. And I said, well, I got nothing to lose. What if I write this celebrity? And he actually writes me back. And so I sent him an email and I immediately got an email back. He goes, Chris, I never check my email, but I was bored. Usually my secretary does it, but I checked my email and it just, I opened my email box and your email came through. Who are you? I listen to your music. You've got to come to California. Let's figure out a way to meet. And I was like, what? And that was the start of the craziest craziest journey. I'm going to tell you the fast forwarded version. I somehow went from a dude confined to his mom's house without a car who couldn't go anywhere, who had absolutely no money to a dude who got a free car, a free trip to Los Angeles. Somebody texted me out of the blue and said, write me a song for my wedding. I'll pay you whatever you want. And I said, could you fly me to Los Angeles? He goes, Yep. I got a hotel room. I got to go to California. I got to meet this guy that said, we, we have to hang out, Chris. I got to perform for his audience. I wound up performing at the Alex Theater in California for a ton of, I don't know what the number was, but just a lot of people. I started my, my nonprofit. I had started a business and I met the love of my life. Say what you mean to And mean what you say Let all the non-believers know They don't know anything Do what you're feeling And feel what you do When it all falls down You can build something new With nothing to prove Above it all Remember to breathe Whoa 
One of the talks you give is called Rock Bottom Mentor. And so this really seems like not only did this springboard you into something you couldn't have even imagined, but there were some just deep, deep learnings from it as well. Oh, yeah. I, I, I think that anyone I've ever loved and respected in this life has had the courage to share their rock bottom moment. And they've also always been able to link their lowest moment in life with their highest moment. There's a mic drop right there. Wow. That's why I'm just such a believer in perspective being everything. It has nothing to do with seeing is believing. Believing is seeing. What do you believe this experience means? Where is your belief in this moment when the mountain that you're trying to climb is on top of you, choking the air out of you? Where is your belief in this moment and what are you going to do with it? And I've just experienced it personally so many times in my life. It's funny, my current producer, his name is 20, him and his girlfriend, Tara, who are very successful in the hip-hop world of all genres. They're so accepting of me and so loving. Twenty calls me the Rocky Balboa of the music business <laughs> because I've, I've come so close so many times. And then this ridiculous thing will happen. Like this really dark thing will happen. What was promised winds up not being true or somebody just doesn't follow through or the wrong person steps in to work with me or whatever it is. And I just refuse. I refuse to believe that it's the end, that that's the end of the journey. And now, once again, not only are all the things that I've shared up to this point true, but I have a beautiful five-year-old daughter and I have a partner that wants me to do music and speaking as a career. She was like, you've supported us to the best of your ability while Fern was a baby going up to five-year-olds. Now that she's in kindergarten, my partner in life, Heather, she's like, you need to just go do this. And so I'm just so grateful to have been thrust back into the magic that I believe in so, so very much and, and working on new music right now and all that fun stuff, all that fun stuff. So for our listeners, like this is our opportunity. Let's rally behind Chris Hendricks. We're going to put some links to his music in the show notes, but like, let's get him to where the top of the mountain, that's where he belongs. I second that. And Chris, I feel like we could talk for another 45 minutes and it would be just as interesting as the first 45 minutes. But as we are coming to the end of our time together, you know, usually we ask the question, if you could go back in time and have a conversation with your younger self, what's one piece of advice you would give him? And I want to be a little bit more specific on this question for you is if you could go back in time and have a conversation with your middle school self, little Jamie, who was just in so much emotional pain, what is one piece of advice that you would give him? If you ask not, you have not. Mm. What does that mean to you? What is it that you want? Even if you don't know what you want, I, I beg of you, sit down and think about it, contemplate it. It's okay to not know, but work towards knowing. And it's okay to change it. 
That's all fine. But write it down. Put it out there. Express your authentic self and have the courage to scream through the darkness at the top of your lungs, this is what I want. Because the world wants to hear your voice and see your authentic self. The world is waiting for you. And as long as you have the courage to step into it, the world will welcome you. The net will appear every single time, I promise you. I love it. Chris, I mean, I think that just so encapsulates you, the, everything that you've said. And man, I wrote down and circled in big, huge letters, believing is seen. And I think that this is amazing advice for our, our listeners and to really put it out there, what you want and be your authentic self. So thank you so much for joining us today. We really, really appreciate it. Thank you. It has been such a pleasure to have you here. And you have shared so much wisdom. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say, I don't think there's a single person who listens to it who isn't going to walk away with something that is personally impactful for them. Thank you. That means so much. Absolutely. Well, Chris, as Sherry said, I think we could just keep talking for the rest of the afternoon, but I, I really do think, unfortunately, that's going to wrap up our episode for today. So for all of our listeners, we really hope you enjoyed it and would love it if you would share our podcast with a friend, give us a rating on iTunes, or post it to your own social media. You can find information in previous episodes at flowingeastandwest.com. Please join us next time for Flowing East and West, the perfectly imperfect journey to a fulfilled life.